listening to First Church Charlotte. Praise the Lord, everyone. Lord, we commit this service to your hand. We ask that you would speak into our lives, speak into our heart. We don't want to be here out of habit, although it's a good habit. We don't want to be here simply to see and be seen, although fellowship is part of our way. We want to steal the troubled mind. We want to settle the distressed spirit, and we want to focus our eyes heavenward. And we need, we want to say together, speak into our lives, Lord Jesus. Speak your anointing upon us. Don't let us leave unstirred. Don't let us leave unchallenged. But let the unction and the utterance of your spirit Walk every aisle, touch every person sitting in a seat, people joining us online, let their, let their living room or whatever room of the house they're in, let them feel a spiritual connection, a bridge as it were, between their world of the flesh and the realm of the spirit. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Stir us today in Jesus' name. Let the same enthusiasm for you that is starting in places like Ashbury, let it let it flow through us, oh God. That same hunger, the same passion for you. Lord, I've watched some of this stuff live, and most of the people don't there. They don't know what to do with it, but they want to be there. I don't say that judging them, Lord. You you have you have sheep we know not of. Who are we? I mean, <laughs> you don't work for us. We work for you. But Lord, I'm amazed when I watch the live stream. 90% of the people don't know what to do with it, but they, they want to be there. It's a hunger within them. There's something happening there, oh God. They just tarry because they don't know what to do with it. They just tarry. Now, I'm not saying we know what to do with it. That's, that's a presupposition on our part. And it's, a, it's a type of religious arrogance to assume oneself always has insight when others don't. We, we, we turn away from that. But whatever it is that's within those people that they want to be a part of it, even if they don't really see beyond the mystery of it, let that same awakening happen right here. Let us start with first us. We're not professional Christians. We don't have some special insight. We're seekers. We're askers. We're knockers. <laughs> and we just knock and we ask and we seek. But whatever that passion is, let it, let it be birthed among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. You will lift your hands heavenward and say, Lord, let it start in me. Now take those same hands and put them together and give God praise here. Those of you who join us for early prayer, the baby we've been praying for with meningitis for the last nearly month, that's Wednesday's grandson. Every morning we've prayed for that child. I didn't, I didn't even understand all the details. I see the name, we pray, and I just want to say that prayer changes things. Our God is an on-time God. 
He may not come when you want him, but he's always right on time. He's an on-time God. Oh, yes, he is. That's my favorite part. Oh, oh, oh on-time God. Yes, he is. Uh, he found my key. Must be anointed. It may not come when you want him. Be there right on time. Doom, doom, doom. On time, God. Yes, he is. Pastor Melick's trying to save me over here. Thank you for that work of grace. Don't we have the greatest worship team and worship pastor here at First Church? Our team does such a great job. All right, I'm preaching from the story of Leah and Rachel today. And we are ending up February, this month of love where we have repeatedly looked at love, marriage, and relationships, not just for practical instruction, although there's been plenty of that, but we've also looked to see spiritual truth in the example of it all. And so today, we're going to look at Genesis 29, and we're going to read starting at verse number 16. I want to start out by saying um, I am at maximum allergies, and so I'm very drugged up. If I say anything embarrassing, I have the excuse of being on maximum prescribed over-the-counter drugs. And so there is no telling what I could say. Secondly, it's an... In- Did I already start with something? <laughs> When you live with a drug dealer, you know what I'm saying? She's next door hugging and kissing all the kids. So that's where she's at. So as we continue on in our inebriated state, not only is it I have that, but I I have a very dangerous subject. And so uh, fair warning. if I mess anything up, don't worry. My bishop's here. He'll, he'll deal with me later. Uh, verse 16, now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Uh, Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. That brother was whipped. Seven years. And Laban said, it's better I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. But they only seemed like a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Hey, baby. Seven years? Holy moly. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. I put in my time. I'm ready for mama. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. It came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, Leah, his daughter, Leah, his daughter, Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. Jacob went into her. And when Laban gave his, and Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. Some of you guys who grew up in club culture and you went out partying and drinking and I'm waiting for the guilty laughter to begin. You woke up beside a few Leah's and you were like, man, she looked good in the club, but I don't know what mornings are getting rough around here. Uh, 
So it came to pass in the morning, it was Leah, and he said to Laban, Who, what is this you have done to me? Was it not Rachel that I served you? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Um, this is interesting because, you know, Jacob is the deceiver. Some people love to hand it out, but man, they can't take it. They can't take it. They can't take it. Um, they hand it out, boy. But about the moment, they'll criticize you every day of the week. You say one thing to them, and they've cut you off. Anyway, why have you deceived me? Laban said, it must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Methinks he doth protest too much. Uh, fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service, which you will serve with me for still another seven years. Then Jacob did so and fulfilled her fulfilled her week. It's 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 just another way of referring to time. So he gave her his daughter Rachel his wife uh, also, and Laban gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as a maid. Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he also loved Rachel more than Leah. He loved Rachel more than Leah. He loved Rachel more than Leah. He served with Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Um, I, I am uh, very much proceeding through Scripture uh, with a text like this. Um, I, I, I realized at the end of last year that I do my most meaningful communication. Um, in other words, I feel the most spiritually useful when I proceed through a text and I show, or at least in some way, I convey the spirit of one seeking, asking, knocking, rather than teaching or preaching like a minor where I go and I quarry all the stone up and I give little pieces here and there. A text like this is very much filled with spiritual truth, theological brilliance, and necessary practical spiritual instruction. I'll explain. Leah is hardly the only woman who was treated badly by life, but we are given her story. History is filled with blood, but we're given Leah's story. Human, human, the, the story of relationships between men and women is filled with tears, but we're given Leah's story because there is truth. Somebody say truth. There is truth in this story that needs to have a certain swing weight in your spirit. You don't need to just be able to read it and move on as though, oh, it was Sunday, now where are we going to eat? The story needs to do more than bounce off our collective psychology, but some way get down in our spirit and produce anointed spiritual change. That's why it's in the canon. There's a million broken hearts, but Leah's in the story. 
Lord, help me to do a good job of communicating this somehow. I don't want to just get done and ask myself, did I do a good job rhetorically? I want to somehow feel as though there was a purpose to the scripture and its conveyance into our life. Move among us, I pray, oh God. I pray for the person who they didn't expect to be here today, but it transpired in the life. God got them here. Let them see how you can touch them and change them in a day like this. I pray for the person who wasn't even expecting to be singled out in their zeal and passion for you. But in this service, the Holy Ghost touches their heart. Work among us today in Jesus' name. The first thing I want to ask you to do, and I have, I should start by saying I've been through this text every day this week. I have reflected upon it. I've applied it. I have, I've preached it uh, four or five different ways to myself, and there's a great insight uh, in every layer of the story uh, that you can pass through. Uh, But the first thing I want to say to let the story get beyond the fun of a social circumstance, I'll, I'll explain that. As a communicator, it's fun to, to, to kind of make jokes about how Leah was the not-so-pretty one and Rachel was the pretty one. And as a communicator, to kind of have fun with that, it's very much a part of the human story. It's very much a reality um, that is often referred to, particularly by comedians. And uh, I don't want to just stand in that and have fun with it. I, I want to take it deeper than that. The first thing I want us to do is I want us, if you can, If you could find it within your arranging and organizing the story, if you can stop thinking of Leah and Rachel in terms of pretty or ugly and start thinking in terms of appreciated and unappreciated. Let me tell you what I know about I know about beauty. Beauty is uh, tremendously subjective, and it changes generation to generation. Um, what was considered an ideal of beauty in the 50s uh, was different than the ideal of beauty in the 80s or the 90s, and the ideal of beauty today uh, with the change of culture is, is, is quite different uh, than the uh, as it was when I was growing up, and uh, some of the the girls who I remember in my junior high, high school days, who may have been in some way teased or made fun of, in this day, they would be the peak of attraction. So we need to be honest and we need to see that these things are moving targets and it's not helpful to decide who's pretty and who's not pretty. What is much more helpful is to understand that however you are, whatever your background inheritance, let me just get real for a moment in the risk of making all you moms nervous uh, and start covering the ears of your children. Whether or not you think you are attractive to a certain group, you should uh, present yourself as having respect for yourself. So, Take yourself seriously, even if someone else in your life doesn't take you seriously. Let me just speak to all our women. It's unfortunate that our society oftentimes puts women in a certain kind of category that judges you on appearances more than men. I can't fix the world, but let me tell you what I can challenge all of you to do. Quit letting other people set your value. 
Leah and Rachel represent this. Uh, Whatever their respective features, whatever the beauty of their physicality, whatever the appearance of their face, uh, you know, take Leah, for example. She had something wrong with her eyes. Maybe she squinted, whatever. Um, It's not as simple as saying that's what makes her attractive, or, or let me just say this, and again, I'm apologizing in advance if I misstate anything. I am uh, a max medicine. So here I want to go. I know lots of really pretty women that wear glasses. I married one. My wife can walk around the house. True story, two sets of reading glasses on her head asking me, have I seen her glasses? <laughs> It's not as simple as whether or not you can see well or not or you have something wrong. It's not that simple. First of all, nobody's perfect. And God, let me just say it this way, and I apologize in advance. Uh, If God planted you in whatever garden you in, tend it, take care of it, make yourself as beautiful as you can make yourself. Don't let someone else dismiss you. Who are they? God planted you in whatever garden you're in, so... Tend that garden. No, I don't have a six pack. I have a beer keg. Moving along. So uh, let's stop with the beauty and ugly. Let's instead see seen and unseen. Let's think in terms of appreciated and unappreciated. Let's think in terms of celebrated and invisible. Uh, This is a reality that I think all of us need to, we need to face in your life. All of us are going to be both Rachel and Leah. In your life, all of us are going to be both Rachel and Leah. There will be seasons of your life where you are seen, you are appreciated, and you are celebrated. There will be seasons of your life where people see that you were the one who did the work and they place upon you the blessing. And there's going to be times in your life where you are totally, totally ignored. Just a minute ago, my wife was talking about one man showed up. Pastor Millick's like, my God, I was here all day Friday working like a dog, set up every chair, fixed all their hair, took care of all their children, and washed their cars while they were inside having fun. Got zero credit around here. (laughs) There's going to be days. When you're earnest, oh, Ernest is awesome. He showed us the Parnas Halls. Ernest, Ernest, Ernest. <laughs> and there's going to be days you fix their hair, wash their car, set up every single chair. They're like, oh, he, that's just Melix. <laughs> All of us, hear me, are going to learn, have to learn the trials, the tests, the joy, and the sorrow of being Rachel. And Leah. 
because the story is in the canon for a reason. Uh, it's always fun to be Rachel. Um, in our marriages, we spent a lot of time talking about uh, marriages uh, the last month. It's one of the most uh, blessed uh, completing things in your life. Um, if you're not married and you think marriage will fix your life, I want you to know that is a misconception. Um, there is something worse than single, and that's living in hell. Is that okay? okay There's something worse than single. And that's living with some crazy person who's abusive. I mean, when it's good, it's good, but you got to add it all up, not just when it's good. Because some of, some of us, let me just talk to the single people. If you're not careful, your attraction is keyed off of the dysfunction in your past. And that's why you keep going for one toxic person after another, because the set of your attraction is that which you survived, not, not that which would God transformed you into. And so you end up going to one broken relationship because you, oh, he just, oh, he, church people are boring. Um, okay, maybe, maybe. Um, compared to what? Locked up? Can I keep going? Locked up? Knocked up? Beat up, fed up. I better stop. I'm in trouble right now. When God changes us, it shouldn't be like all of us gets righteous except for the part that likes that one crazy person who's always dragging us back into the old life. Transformation ought to be real or we ought to quit bragging about it. All right. In the beginning of a relationship, in a beginning of a relationship, it's so good, 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 it's so good. She cooked biscuits, you're like, yes, Lord. She cooked bacon, you're like, bring it, Jesus. She make peanut butter and jelly, you're like, holy, holy, holy. Four years later, she shows up with a filet mignon, and you're like, yawn. Let's get real, okay? What am I talking about? All of us will live the trials, the troubles, the sorrows, and the blessings of being both Rachel and Leah because the days of our life move on with a relentlessness day after day, tired after tired. I preached the 9 a.m. service. My, my wife walked in and looked at me in the office. She said, honey, I hate it, I hate it. I said, what? She said, you look terrible. <laughs> She said, you look terrible. You look like you ain't got any sleep. It scares me when you look this tired. I'm like, I'm just, I'm just allergies. It'll be okay. She comes over like I'm a dog about to be put down. And she like puts her hands around my head, you know. And there's a part of me that's like, okay. And a part of me is like, really? <laughs> what am I saying? All of us are going to have the Rachel and the Leah lived out. You're going to do things in the church and you're going to be celebrated and then you're going to be ignored. You're going to show up to run sound, and the preacher's going to be in a good mood. He's going to be like, man, thank you for your hard work. Another day, he's going to be like, really? If you can survive, you see, here's the problem. A lot of church people can serve God as long as they're always treated like Rachel. Come on now. Yeah. 
As long as someone's always falling along behind him and saying, oh, Melix, you're so good looking. Melix, you're such a fine man. Melix, Holly, slap you in the morning and slap you at night. Melix, you can sing. Melix, you can sing. <laughs> but let me tell you, sometimes... Is that you back there, huh? sister? That's, mm. If y'all don't know Holly, she's not easy to know. I'm going to tell you right there. She's not easy to know. Holly is stinking awesome. She's an amazing person. But she will look at you like what you're trying to say to me when you first walk up to her, just so, just so you know. That's because the Lord was trying to save Melix. That's what that whole thing is about right there. Sometimes, though, you can sing, and it's just as good, and nobody hears you sing. They're like, yawn. They're like... Text in there. Sometimes you can preach and people are like, my God, that's the best I ever heard. Leah and Rachel. I didn't even know that stuff was in there. Other time you preach the same message. You see what I'm saying? Can as long as we treat you like Rachel, then you're committed. But the moment you get treated like Leah, all of a sudden I'm out of here. When people leave churches and they tell people why they left, the reason they left and the reason they told people are left are never the same reason. Because all of us have to learn how to be both Rachel. Watch. There's temptations in being Rachel. There's pressures in being Rachel. There's, there's expectations. Sometimes Rachel wants to take those high heels off. She's sick of being do you understand what I'm saying? There's trials in that. It's like the last time I preached out, the guy, when he got done introducing me, I walked up, the first thing I said is, the first thing I want to do is lower all your expectations. <laughs> That's the first thing I said. I just want to lower everybody's expectations. I'm not that good, okay? Can we all just say that if I get out of here and we had to split the church, it's going to be a good day? <laughs> so there's trials and temptations in being Rachel, and there's trials and temptations in being Leah, and we are all going to live. Let me tell you the truth about Jacob. Jacob was not a great example in many, many ways. He, he had honesty problems. He had deception problems. And um, even, even uh, it, it even gets uglier. I won't even go into all the story, but he's far from a perfect man. And the point of God joining us in marriage is in some way to make us whole. And God's grace is such that even in our imperfection, he will work with us. Example, it wasn't his will for men to have more than one wife, but in the Old Testament, he doesn't end the show just because men aren't obeying. He works with them. He puts up with their ignorance, just like he puts up with my ignorance and your ignorance. That's not an excuse to sin. It is an invitation to grace. And in his story, both Rachel and Leah are part of making him whole. Put yourself in the shoes of Leah. Her own father doesn't know how to respect her. Some of those damaging things that can happen in women is when they have a toxic father. They, they can carry the weight of that the rest of their life. It was formative to them. It was painful to them. And they can see it happening, but they can't stop it because it was such a formative experience. Now, we believe in healing, but I want all of you to know, if you did not have a great relationship, I'm speaking to the women primarily right now, if you did not have a great relationship with your father, God will be a father to you that no human could ever be. He can bless you and keep you, and can some church folks give God some praise in this house right now? Uh, her own father didn't know how to appreciate her. 
Um, she did not ask to be given to Jacob. How does it feel to be Leah? She's dreading the moment he wakes up. And once he wakes up and storms out on the tent, we don't talk about Leah left in the tent crying. Uh, the story, the lesson is spiritually evocative for us because the reality of Leah is the only way Leah is going to stay sane is if she finds a place of strength where she does not need the men in her life to approve of her in order for her to show love, acceptance, forgiveness. She has only one chance at a healthy life, and that is to stand on her own feet and say, God made me who I am. Whether or not I am appreciated in this life, God. You see, uh, there's always a temptation for us, and I'm very guilty of this, to live my life trying to get other people's approval. But that's another way of insulting God, because the pe those people did not make you who you are. God made you who you yeah. are. And for you to criticize yourself and tell yourself why you're not enough is another way of saying, God, you made a mistake down here. That's why the ultimate insult you can give to God is self-harm. Um, whoever you are, God made you who you are. If you're waiting for a man or anyone else to give you permission to be you, you poor darling, you need a hug, you need a hamburger. You need a trip to Orlando. You need something. I don't know. You've got to stand up and say, I is who I is. That's how I learned it at Garinger. I is who I is. And that is who I is. And that's going to have to be a good enough. I'm not saying you don't tend your garden. I'm not saying you don't do the best with what God has given you. But at the end of your effort, the offering is to God, not your neighbors. We can live toxic lives trying to be enough for other people, trying to make everybody like us. Some point in our life, we have to turn our eyes heavenward and say, God, not everybody likes me, and I'm okay with that. How am I doing with you? Not everybody approves of me, and I'm okay of that. How am I doing with you? At some point, there has to be the ability to plant your feet and say, my father is never going to be proud of me. Um, that need within us to gain approval of other people can be for some people like a, like a ravenous black hole, sucking everything in and never having enough. Uh, Dr. Pierre Rechnik did a fascinating study 
of the 300 greatest names in history. And by greatest, we're not talking about the greatest people. Only God would know such a thing as that. But talking about the most notorious, well-known, famous names of history. He studied people like Alexander the Great, Julius Caesar, Napoleon Bonaparte, Golda Meir, Adolf Hitler, Fiel Castro. And he was looking for something else, and he was stunned by what he discovered. He was stunned by this. Uh, a wildly disproportionate number of the most infamous names in history were orphans. And he wrote a book entitled, Do Orphans Lead the World? In the book, he explained, he concludes that if a young child goes through those formative years uh, where their personality sets, if they go through that with the deprivation of a mother's love, or a father's love, the deprivation of someone believing in them, and we all need it. Every little child in the world puts on new tennis shoes and says, Dad, look how fast I can run. Every little girl wants to diadem, and she twirls in some manner and says, Look, Dad, a princess. Everybody has something in us. We need something, and if that's denied, it's so toxifies. I don't know if that's a word, but we're working with it today. It so toxifies our life that we spend the rest of our life striving, 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 striving. God did not say, I have come so I can get you to strive harder. He said, I, am, I have come that you might have life and more abundantly. I have come that you might have some hope. You see, in the garden, let's go to first principles real quick. And I'm, I'm just preaching. I, I, it is what it is. I'm going to ask the Lord how I did when I got done, and he's going to be the only one I listen to. Um, boy, I'm, I like talking tough, Donna. All preachers talk tough, <laughs> and then reality sets in. <laughs> um, so y'all don't point out that I'm talking tough here. So uh, first principles, Adam and Eve are placed where? In a garden. A garden means is a sign. It's a spiritual symbol of flourishing. It's a place of flourishing, a place of becoming. It was God's intent from the beginning for both Adam and Eve to live lives of spiritual and material flourishing. They're both spirit and what? Flesh. They're placed with a realm in the spirit and the flesh. So they both tend the garden and they walk in the cool of the day with the presence of God. This is real spiritual flourishing. They were intended to live a certain kind of life by God. They were given the potential to choose evil and sin. Why? Because it's not a love story if they're a kept pet. It's only a love story if they can say no. And so they choose sin, but it wasn't the intention of God. His intent was the love story. He intended for them to live spiritual and material flourishing. So what did Jesus do? Through grace, he empowered that. And the story of the gospel becomes, it is God's will for me and you to live spiritual and materially material flourishing through grace. Adam and Eve didn't have to have grace. There was no sin. We can only attain it through grace. Thus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both spiritual and material flourishing. Um, and here you see our need to live a life of shalom, real peace, peace with God, peace with our neighbors, and prospering in our effort. Not for the point of hoarding, but for the point of giving. Right. 
The point is the rich man, the, the, the point is not that the rich man goes to hell. The point is the rich man has plenty, but hoards, he builds greater barns. He had enough. He was already rich. Everybody knew he was rich. It wasn't enough. Why? The screaming black hole inside of him. More, 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 more. And what he doesn't understand is that because the needs of the soul are infinite, only God can satisfy the soul. And so um, we have to learn how to be both Rachel and Leah, because in our life, the arc of our life, we will live both out. We will live both out. We'll do it in our marriages, but we'll do it in more than our marriages. We'll do it in our ministries. We'll do it in our lives. We'll do it with our children. Um, As a parent, there will be times where the think the thankfulness of your children will move you to tears and there'll be times you just want to slap those little suckers because they're so unthankful. Can I have a witness? I didn't want a witness from over here. I just wanted, uh, I, we, I just wanted that to hear that we, they never experienced that over here. Um, so uh, how many of you remember the uh, Disney, I guess it's Disney, some cartoon show called The Incredibles. Uh, it's the story of the Pars, which are a family of superheroes. And in the beginning, they follow the exploits of Bob Parr, known as Mr. Incredible. And he saves the world. And then as society becomes more and more litigious, he's sued over everything. He's always being accused. And in one scene, the neck brace clad Oliver Sansweat stands before television cameras announcing that he is suing Mr. Credible. Incredible. He uh, attempted to end his life by jumping from a skyscraper. Mr. Incredible saved him with a hard landing. Instead of saying thank you, he is suing Mr. Incredible because his neck was hurt in having his life saved. Mr. Sansweat, the accusation is, didn't ask to be saved. Mr. Sansweat didn't want to be saved. And the injury received from Mr. Incredible's actions has caused him daily pain. And so, uh, Mr. Incredible, Bob Parr screams, but I saved your life. And Mr. Sansweat screams back, you didn't save my life, you ruined my life. To which the only real answer should have been, I wish I wouldn't have. Um, So the point is, all of us live with moments of gratitude and moments of ingratitude. And uh, here's the reality. Since the arc of our life presents us both as the one who is noticed and the one who is ignored because our life presents us as the one who does receive accolades and the one who is invisible. Life presents us as, you know, the prettiest girl at the dance and the one who could not get a ride to go. Life places us in both circumstances. I want to point out something about Leah. Leah decided in spite of her circumstances, she was going to be productive in spite of her circumstances. And she had a partner in her fruitfulness. Who was her partner in her fruitfulness? Almighty God. When the Lord saw that she was unloved. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. When the Lord saw that she was unloved. Anybody living through the Leah years, I want to say to you right now, when God saw that no one was noticing, that no one was seeing you, that no one loved you, it moved God. Let me say it this way. When no one else loves you, God's still watching. And when no one else is on your side, God's on your side. And when no one knows how to appreciate you, 
God knows how to appreciate you. She does not turn her circumstance into a bitter retreat into hate-filled desert, as it were, but she chooses productivity. And in her life, in spite of the fact that her father did not see any value in her, in spite of the fact that her husband despised her, in spite of the fact that embarrassment was real, God was watching. I want you to know, I as a pastor am not always going to be there with a word of thank you but God is watching everything you do for him. I don't see the things you give. I don't always say thank you for the extra effort you make, but I want to say this. God is watching you. Leah becomes the most fruitful of Jacob's wives, six of his sons and one of his his daughters uh, are given to him by Leah. And here is the interesting thing that I want to have you see, and I I don't want to rush past this. I want you to get this if all possible. Um, Jacob wasn't the only one choosing in the story of Rachel and Leah. I want to say that again. Jacob was not the only one choosing God was choosing too. You see, when you feel like you're rejected by people, you need to understand that doesn't mean you're rejected by God. And your next step to healing is your ability to stop looking at the rejection and lift your eyes to the divine acceptance that is in your life where God says, I choose you. Jacob wasn't the only one choosing. Jacob is so smitten for Rachel, 14 years of his life. I'm telling you one thing. We all like to talk about, we all like to talk about, you know, how committed we are to each other. But my God, 14 years. If any of you are in a relationship and they're making you wait 14 years, you might should date around. (laughs) I'm telling you what, that's a long time to wait. What are you waiting for? Him to leave his wife? I mean, come on. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. Don's doing that guilty laughter like, Jesus, take the wheel. Um, 14 years. Leah receives none of that love. Um, Her father is so down on her he cannot see any way, because he's a shyster. He can see any way he can spin her to his own benefit. He assumes no one would want her. Um, but she, in spite of this, she is... Let me, just, let me just say one other thing here. I'm on the subject. Um, Jacob had no problem with Leah when they were alone. Guys, if guys and girls, single people, if you're dating somebody who they will do do a you know what call on you at 11:30 at night, but they don't want to be seen with you with their friends, please respect yourself more than you're respecting yourself. Repent for your immorality. He has no problem with her privately. You don't have seven kids by accident. 
There's several comments I can make right here that I will make none of them. He had no problem in private with her, but she wasn't, for some reason, an ego boost to him. And in Leah and Rachel's life, Jacob wasn't the only one choosing. Hear this. God was choosing too. Uh, The fourth son of Leah is named Judah. You want to know why that means something? Because of the tribe of Judah. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is what? Christ the Lord. Jacob wasn't the only one choosing. God was choosing too. I want to preach to every one of you who feel like you're unloved, unseen, uncelebrated, ignored. I first want to say this to all of our married people. Let's not be the ones guilty of taking each other for granted. Let's find a way to live out a real spiritual gratitude. Gratitude is just as much much a spiritual discipline as prayer is. Don't pray a lot and then go around being unthankful. Gratitude is just as much much a spiritual uh, discipline as prayer, as fasting. We need to see each other. We need to honor each other. We need to say thank you for everything that happens in our lives, everything that we receive. We need to live out gratitude. But here is what I I, I want all of you to see in this moment. Uh, God is choosing. God is choosing. It's not just Jacob that is choosing. And when he chooses, through whom comes the Savior of the world. He does not choose Rachel. He chooses Leah. So if you feel uncelebrated, it might be that God's going to choose you for something greater than you can even comprehend. In fact, those of us who seek to be Rachel... And we want people to see us when we pray. And we want people to see us when we give an offering. And we want to receive the acclaim of men and women. It might be that we fall into a category of a Pharisee. And the Lord says, when you seek me, don't be like that. But be willing to be unappreciated. Be willing to be uncelebrated. Be willing to not have your name in lights. God chooses Leah. I'm almost done. Musicians, come. I've got a bunch more stuff I don't have time to get into, but I want to I try to wrap up with this. The story of the end of their lives is also the second sign of how unappreciated, uncelebrated people can eventually arrive at a place of anointing and spiritual purpose. Um, if you look at the last years of their life when... Rachel dies first, and they bury her where they are in the wilderness. And her grave, although I'm sure it was well celebrated at the time, it's lost. Um, It's a forgotten place in the howling deserts of the region. And um, but when Leah dies, uh, Jacob, Jacob keeps her body with him. And he carries her mile after mile after mile after mile back to their family burial grounds. 
and where his great-grandfather and mother is and where his father and mother are. He buries Leah, and he says to his family, he wants to be buried beside Leah. So what is the point of the story? All of us are challenged. All of us are challenged to live lives of gratitude. Can I have a big amen? Amen. Particularly in marriage. Look, in just a moment, we're going to go into a prayer service. I I probably should explain this. Uh, We have intentionally split each single service into two services where we have a teaching, preaching, and then we have a prayer service. Why do we do that? Because it's not enough for us to have a heart, a a head religion. We have to have a heart religion too. It's not enough for us to go through a routine and then slip out to lunch. We need to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, if you're a little bit uncomfortable in a prayer service, you're welcome to go at any time. That's all fine. We understand. You may have grown up in a certain background. You'll get comfortable with it. We want to take care of you, but we intentionally have a prayer service because if you're you're not going to believe in the prayers of your brothers and sisters. What are you going to believe in? Your co-workers? If you're not going to have faith one for another, how are we a unified body of Christ? Anyway, we're going to do that in a moment. But before we do it, I want to challenge you all with this reality. We must live lives of gratitude. We must see the good in one another. We must speak thanksgiving one to another. Secondly, there will be temptations in our life that come from being celebrated where we're tempted with vanity and a particular set of challenges that come from fame and the temptations and trials thereof, not even fame, that's such a flawed word, but having a place, having someone see us and acknowledge us and be thankful to and for us. And the flip side, we're going to be ignored. We're going to be taken for granted. No one's going to say thank you when we do something. It's going to be both a challenge of having received and the challenges of being ignored. Our life is going to carry us through the arcs of both. But I want to, first of all, in, the, in following in that manner, I want to say to all of you, um, when you are in times of being celebrated, make sure to walk humbly before your God and never let the word of blessing end with you. Always reflect the blessing. You brag on me, I want to brag on my wife. You see what I'm saying? You brag on me, I want to brag on my staff. You say I'm doing a great job, I want to say it's my staff that's doing a great job. Never let it end with you because there be dragons. It doesn't end with me. It's the goodness of God in my life. And in like manner, when you're uncelebrated, when you don't have a ride to the dance, much less being the prettiest girl or the strongest boy at the dance, you've got to still be fruitful. You've got to quit feeling sorry for yourself. You've got to go forward into what? Because it might be that although the world isn't choosing you, God is. And although the world isn't celebrating you, God is. Stand with me all across the house. Lord Jesus, you see every life that's here today. Lord, we stand in your presence. 
We acknowledge your goodness. We desire the touch of your spirit above everything else. Lord, I'm praying for every person who is here today. There, there, are, there are people who uh, their lives are so blessing them that they are in a place of great contentment. Uh, the sun is shining sweetly. The wind's blowing softly. They don't know it, but there's a storm beyond the horizon. It's coming in their direction. And they have to be ready for that. I'm praying today that we would live lives of gratitude. I'm praying today that we would live lives of thanksgiving. I'm praying today that we would not be so enthralled by the approval of others that we would assume or make the mistake of substituting their, their approval or disapproval for divine approval or disapproval. God, at the end of this moment, I have to stand before you and say, Lord, ask myself if I did my best to promote you. And so it is with every ministry of this church. When the lights are turned out, when the small group goes home, we have to ask this question, not did I do a great job? That's just a recursive habit back to self. But did I advance your purpose? Did I give honor to your kingdom? Did I some way give glory to you? Because if the question is how good I am, I have already asked the wrong question. I'm never going to be good enough. That's the wrong question. It's a trap. It's like a whirlpool always sucking me back into my own self-prescribed death. I've got to get out of that. I've got to focus on you, Lord Jesus. Every ministry of this church, we have to ask ourselves how we are representing your kingdom, how we are leading your people, how we are praying for another person's blessing and strength. Oh, God, I pray for the marriages that are in this house, Lord Jesus. Some, some have fallen in such a habit of taking each other for granted. They don't even say thank you when they serve each other anymore. When they do good one to another, they just act as though it's owed to them. God, I pray you would stir them up. I pray you would awaken within them a renewal of gratitude, not just as good manners, but as as good spiritual progress and purpose. Lord Jesus, let gratitude live in our life. And I pray lastly, oh God, for the person who has wondered deep in their spirit whether or not they're seen at all. I pray they would feel you choose them today, God. I pray they would feel you embrace them today. The uh, people sitting next to them may or may not like them very much. That's a human thing. We can't control that. We got to quit sucking our thumb over it. We've got to ask ourselves, Lord Jesus, if you choose me, that's all I need. If you'll lead me, that's all I need. If you'll guide me, that's all I need. Because out of that soul source where we begin to live holy for you, then you give us the desires of our heart. When we seek holy your word, your way, your kingdom, then everything else is added to us. As if to say we'll never be complete in the material until we're filled to overflowing in the spiritual. Don't let us leave this place without being stirred today. In Jesus' name. I want to encourage everybody here not to rush away. Uh, you can leave at any time, of course. Our guests and friends, we thank you for joining us. But we need to linger here for a little while. I'd like you, if you would, to find some way to pray, to find some way to pray with someone near you, to find some way to recommit yourself to God, to find some way to stand in His presence and say, God, it's not more of me. Listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. 
If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.